Hey everyone, welcome to episode 20, episode 20 of the Ask LFC podcast. Uh, I'm Harrison Gilming, Worship Arts Director Whoops, here at Lake Forest I'm in Huddersville, Mike. and I'm sitting here with... Mike Moses, lead pastor at Lake Forest Family of Churches and uh, Lake Forest Church Huntersville specifically. Good to be with you all today. Hello, Harrison. What is up? How are you? How's your uh, how, How's your latest week of semi-phase two lockdown been here? <laughs> you know, I've been spending about half the day in, my, in the office here, uh, whether it's Zoom or some in-person meetings, which I won't have in my office, which is closed in, but down in the lobby or out under the pergola. The coffee shop. A few people have really requested that, and then the other half of my days are generally in my home study. Uh, so I'm doing okay. Yesterday, <laughs> I, by the time I finished, uh, I had zoomed from noon until 5 p.m. with one half hour break. So that was a little. I should have spotted that ahead of time and moved something around, but it was okay. It was because I was meeting with all precious people. Yeah, but 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 Zoom fatigue is a real condition yes. <laughs> that as a, as a s- small psychological side note that I found interesting if you who are listening to this have also been on the video meeting thing which many 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 of you are um I I have read that the reason why it can feel more tiring after you finish a long session of video meetings as opposed to mm-hmm. in person meetings is it is extra um just tiresome on your brain having these meetings because there's always a picture of yourself in the corner and it it makes you at all times hyper aware of your facial expressions your body language where in person you're not thinking about how do i look every moment of the time it's it can be very hard to i kept adjusting my slumping posture yesterday (laughs) in one meeting going man that guy looks like a slob Uh, (laughs) um i now i did early afternoon i did message somebody and rescheduled to a phone call so that I could go sit in the shade in my backyard. Yeah. Uh, we've got a little wooden glider under dogwood tree uh, beside some of Angie's uh, rose bushes. And so that was actually, I sat there for an hour, and that was a delightful change. Hey, on today's podcast, we are going to, number one, um, just review how did it go. We had live in-person worship, and people have been saying, how did it go? Pastor friends from around the country have actually been messaging me, Harrison. So we'll give you just a quick hit on that, our experience of that. Number two, um, we want to go a little further. Our God story from the sermon Sunday was Harriet Tubman, an American hero. And I want to talk a little bit about how that came about. Uh, My experience of trying to follow through on listening to black voices, which we were being requested to do, and how that impacted the sermon. Finally, In my research on her, I came across somebody who might be very relatable to us. We're also being, uh, I'm hearing uh, requests from black pastors and friends for whites to be more solid allies in fights against racism, if not even anti-racist. And I ran across a really interesting example of a white man who crossed over with Harriet Tubman's life, who might be have some exemplary stuff for us today. That's called the teaser right there. Well, so I, now yeah. you got to stay. You got to stay teaser tuned or, in. Or you know what? I'm going to go do something else. Um, and then the fourth and final thing is us ranking all nine of the major Star Wars movies by order of how much we <laughs> like them. Just kidding. <clears throat> um, all right. Well, then we'll start 
speaking of Zoom calls and lockdowns and videos and meeting with people in person, we, as Mike mentioned, uh, just a couple days ago, uh, for the first time since the early March, uh, had people here in our building, other than the ones that were serving and helping to produce mm -hmm. the Sunday morning service for live stream and for Facebook. And uh, what was some of the feedback you heard? First of all, super interesting. We were interested to learn. We offered a, up to 150 or 180. Uh, I think in the end we settled on 150 at the 10 a.m. service, which is very limited to our full capacity. Uh, we did not include the balcony. And only half of that capacity was filled by reservations. It's reservation only. That tells us a lot about our congregation, their comfort level, whether it's safety, whether it's, man, I'm not coming with my kids, whatever that is. We have, a, we have as high a percent of congregation with young children as any church we've ever been aware of. So that's a big factor for us. Also, the evening service, uh, half or less of the slots that we made available were taken. So that's one thing we learned. We can all, th that there's no immediate demand, oh man, we should do four of those. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we know where our congregation is, and yet, yeah, so that's one takeaway. Another thing, another thing I think we all immediately recognized and noticed that was very encouraging is that all of the, uh, all the folks who came were incredibly respectful and loving of their neighbor there it was <clears throat> it was as safe as an environment as any public place that I've been in since all this has started just just the space the people just really respecting each other we were super specific ahead of time so that no one had any uh, any illusions about expectations of how to behave masks were required many other things. Uh, an extra list was shared with those who had RSVP'd as well. And Harrison, um, everyone was humble and submissive to our protocols. Masks were worn the entire service, both services. People kept to the six feet. Um, all of that. Uh, I was super impressed with that, and it, it gave me even more confidence moving forward. I personally, um, I felt it was a more safe experience than just really any shopping I've done, any restaurant I've been in, uh, there was less contact, no contact, no. relative to uh, a takeout at McDonald's. So I felt that um, while, um, yeah, so I felt we did it as safely as I've seen anyone do it. So I feel good about moving forward as long as we don't need to move back into further more lockdown. That, sure. that would be a response we would make. But for now, we, we're doing it again this week. Yeah, and we also we also felt great because, as you mentioned, the number of people that signed up and showed up really spoke to the fact that we we ahead of time really led and and uh, outlined really well by you, Mike. We're, we were trying to be crystal clear about the fact that um, you're not going to lose any God points by not being the first one through the doors on the first yes. weekend that we're open they're they're gonna honestly they're gonna be folks that we we may not see again until 2021 until walking through these doors yeah. and, until something so mm -hmm. we uh we're we, so good with that yeah uh, we're our announcements about this are are in no way intended we talk about this in staff 
we in no way want to for someone to feel that we are inducing them to come in person, but we are wanting to really honor and love on our segment of our congregation who is just hungry, in some a few cases desperate for a bit mm-hmm. of in person. So at the end of the service, I went and stood out in the middle of the. I didn't stand in the lobby. No congregating in the lobbies allowed. But outside, I went and stood in the middle of their entry road and spoke with anyone who wanted to for some time afterward while getting a sunburn on my head. Uh, that was the morning, the evening, same thing under the pergola. It was delightful. The pergola, the evening one was so intimate that at the beginning I just said, hey, let's learn everybody's names here. Yeah. And so that was a really enjoyable and formal experience. Uh, a personal reflection on it, um, I think judging, judging from your excitement level at the beginning of your sermon, especially in the morning, that you felt the same way that I did, that it was shocking to me that it was it was nowhere near a, a packed house. Um, there yeah. were there were folks that I'm as we're looking out from the stage, we're seeing a bunch of um, masked faces. So, <clears throat> you know, it can from that standpoint, it's harder to tell are people connecting with it, are people singing, are people responding? Are they laughing? Are they laughing? Man, I, I'm telling you. Yeah, just having people in the room again was just such just yeah. on the personal side for me. Um, it was just such a lift. And it, that helps me to understand better and honor the the few among us who just have a visceral desire for in person. And it's why I it's worth it for us at this point to honor that. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt the same thing, Harrison. So. We'll let you know how that continues to go. Uh, we lowered the the um, reservation spots for this week um, just so we can be prepped and, and, and kind of looking at what the demand was, and we'll see how that is going forward. Yep, we're looking forward to it. We're, we're figuring it out as we go, just like, just like everybody is right now. So. Okay, so my favorite part of preparing last week's sermon, Shifra and Pua. Number one, I had never preached Exodus 1. So you guys know me. I enjoy the gift of looking into a part of Scripture that, that feels relatively fresh for me. Number one, I just enjoyed that. Uh, indulged in more research than sometimes normal. Um, when I preach out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I've researched the context of the early church of Ephesus so many times. That's not something I need to go do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I enjoy when I have reason to do that sort of fresh work, just personally. That motivates me. Um, but secondly, I, what I realized as I looked at the passage is the, exod- the entire Exodus narrative, the book of Exodus, but the Exodus event in particular has had outsized uh, inspirational impact and identification factor in Scripture for African Americans. Starting with when they many became Christians, when the Christian faith spread among the enslaved population, all of us are aware yep. of how many of what are referred to as Negro spirituals refer to Mo, go down Moses and uh, swing low, sweet chariot, uh, and, and has a whole verse about Pharaoh's army being swept out by the Red Sea. Uh, so the liberation of God's people from slavery obviously 
would have high resonance with an enslaved population who are Christian. And so aware of that, then Harrison, it was just fun for me to go, hmm, you know, I'm being asked, we're being asked, and uh, a majority of our listeners here are white Christians. We're being asked by our Christian and non-Christian African-American citizens, we are asking you to actually listen to the black experience. Listen to us, because it's through story that facts become real, and we might believe statistics about historic and contemporary injustice and inequity. Uh, And so listen to us uh, is a way of being an ally. And so I was like, I was sitting in my study um, where my butt print is getting bigger and bigger on my little leather couch there. I was like, well, I'm going to do that. I want to hear what black pastors have done with this passage. And so I did. I read some sermons, and you heard how that came out in the sermon. Harrison. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think that a um, I think that there was a lot of resonance, especially in your sermon, as you mentioned before, that that we uh, made a decision in the middle of the week after you started kind of getting things together throughout the series God stories. We've been trying to tell a God story each week, and as we've done that so far, it's been. Um, stories from some of the folks and ministry partners in our church but this week uh you were kind of led to make a a late uh plan change after doing some reading and studying and decided to go a different direction with the god story which i thought ended up being a a kind of crucial point in the whole sermon so how did you land on that part particularly well it it was first of all this idea of listening to the black experience. And so as I read uh, several sermons on Exodus chapter 1 by African-American pastors, um, some of them totally obscure, uh, one, one well-known, um, I noticed that Harriet Tubman was the immediate go-to. Uh, other figures in history, too, but Harriet Tubman seemed to be for them to encapsulate what Schiffer and Pua with their obedience to God over and against the unjust law of man, what it would look like in someone more contemporary to us, uh, particularly a notable historical figure. And I was like, wow, that I just need to do that. I would never have, Harrison, I would have never in a million years thought of that. With my white behind, reading my Bible, reading commentaries written by white men largely. Sure. Uh, m- Oftentimes when I look for examples of things other pastors that I know have done with a passage, I have never made it my habit to look at specifically African-American pastors. That just opened up for me. Um, and, And what I enjoyed about that was I've been led to do that, and I was grateful that the Holy Spirit sort of poked me. This is your chance to do what's being asked in this moment in our nation. I don't know what that might mean for you guys in your job. Um, but I heard an example from one of our elders, Harrison, very similar to this. One of our elders is on the board of a bank here in the region. And after the, um, uh, after the, uh, Ferguson, Missouri incidents, um, he, as a bank director and the, uh, the president went into one or more of their branches and asked for a meeting 
with the African-American employees and said, we, we know that there's stuff that we don't know. Can you just tell us what is your experience as a black person working in this bank that we probably wouldn't know if you didn't tell us? And they had a transformative conversation. Hmm. I thought that was a powerful example of how in any person's work or industry, what is a way that you can deploy what we're being at? I think we're being faithfully asked to do. It's not hard to say, listen, I've, so I've picked out, I've, uh, our beach week is coming up, and half of my reading is going to be reading in this vein, attempting to listen. One of them is a book, I won't mention it because it probably has some profanity, by a black comedian. Um, uh, advice to white people. I'm looking forward to that one, and then I have a couple of really serious ones. So, I, yeah, how does that sound as an example? How has that hit you, Harrison? Hearing this, this one way we're being asked to change is to listen to and take into ourselves the black experience. Um, I've been I've been reading a, a book lately, also by. A person I won't name because it also probably has some profanity in it. But there is a really illuminating passage that has kind of stuck with me. That is a truth that we are um, our 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 minds and the way that our thinking is formed. We we really are kind of these like input output processing machines, right? And it's it's kind of the that's the reason why we try to. Um, it's the reason why we try and make God's word such a crucial part of our life because the mm-hmm. stuff that the stuff that comes in mm-hmm. to our brain gets kicked around and gets processed and it does transforming stuff in there and then that that turns into our attitudes, our thinking, our behavior. That's why the that's why all the stuff that we follow on social media is so transformative to our brains. The the things we choose to watch on yes. TV, the you know what what kind of what kind of ways are Both you volume and intensity? Yeah. Vol- and what, so the, the, the major point of all that is kind of what voices are you choosing to listen to? Because more likely than not over time, as you're, as you repeatedly hear something, whatever that thing is, it's going to start to feel more normal to you. Harrison, that's so, really insightful. I haven't thought about it this way. Yeah. So I've been thinking, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that in general and just thinking about, I, I made a conscious decision a couple of years ago to, um, I, I, I use, I use, uh, Facebook a lot to communicate with friends. I use the only other social media I use is Twitter. And that's more for me to, uh, that's mostly people that I don't, personally know it's to get news or information about things happening in the world I made a choice on there a couple of years ago to to find about 20 voices of people of color huh. and just start following them and I'd say about half of them <laughs> repeatedly say things that I just like raise my eyebrows I'm like man I don't know if I would go that far but um, over time of hearing a lot of that stuff man it, it, it does huh. it does start to it is it's it starts to help you understand because you're you're hearing earnest viewpoints of people even even those that don't disagree with you and over time you get a a sense for that person as a person and what they've been through what they've experienced what they believe what they're seeing and it is it is so much easier to interact with a person than it is with like a statement or an idea Harrison I hadn't thought of it in that way that 
myself and most of our listeners, we spent our life hearing white voices opine, both theologically, biblically, politically, culturally, and therefore, like that's a, a foregone conclusion. We're going to therefore see encounter as normative, whatever that macro thought is, even though even within that, there's a lot of variation, obviously. So it was very fruitful for me, and I wanted to get, I wanted to, to show the congregation my work. So I was very careful to quote two of the pastors, give Harriet Tubman as an example. I hope that was helpful to you all and encouraging. I received a good bit of feedback on that. Um, just being an example, and, and that will look different in different industries, different people. How about, can we move on to something else that was super interesting that I uncovered in, in my research? Let's do it. So as I, I wanted to check the facts that I had uncovered about Harriet Tubman, and, um, and so I did a, you know, you guys know me, I enjoy, um, doing a deep dive on some things, and uh, as I got, uh, as I looked at her life, there was a link in two different articles I read about her, a, you know, hyperlink, because I'm reading online, yep. to this one guy, and I was like, oh, no, 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 I know what it was. I put on screen on, on Sunday morning a picture of her with a quote from a man saying, uh, something about esteeming her faith. I wanted people to be sure that they were that this was a woman of faith, and others recognized her as such. We weren't just making that part up. And I was like, "Well, I should probably research who that guy is." That quote, in case he's crazy. And so I followed the thread. Man, all of a sudden, I have another historical hero, Harrison, hmm. from that time. Um, Thomas Garrett is his name, and. I'd like to, Harrison, if, if it's okay, I'd like to just summarize some things about his story. And here's the lens. I mentioned it already earlier. Thomas Garrett seems to, I, I don't, my personal life story is never going to relate to Harriet Tubman's experience or story. Um, I admire her as an American and Christian hero. Another thing that I'm hearing us being asked to do, and I don't think it's unreasonable, by black Christians, I'm going to specifically speak to my Christian pastor friends' requests, formally and informally. Both Charlotte area clergy, Zooms I've been on, being asked directly, and then friends of mine informally, is we're asking you to be an ally in making progress in our nation to uh, uh, write the historic inequities and injustices that fall statistically on people of color harder than uh, Anglo mm -hmm. people. <coughs> and we're asking you to be allies. And then there's another phrase that's a, probably a little more controversial. It's, it's uh, And we're asking you to be anti-racist, just not, not racist. Hey, I'm not going to tell a black person joke. <laughs> that's not being racist. Mm -hmm. um, they're saying, can you be anti-racist? And speak up or speak out or not allow your, your circle of friends to be safe space for someone to uh, tolerate racist ideas and blah, blah, blah. And this is all 
kind of new to talk this way, uh, uh, especially among white Christians. And so I thought that this guy, Thomas Garrett, I'm going to offer this to you guys as an example of what it might look like to be an ally and an anti-racist in his day. He's a business, white businessman who prospered but allowed his reputation uh, 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 to be on the line because he chose to be an ally and an anti-racist. Does that sound interesting? Let's do it. I'm super interested. Thomas Garrett. He was a Quaker Christian. And most of you will know, if you're historically aware, Quakers were the leading group of Christians who were abolitionists and anti-slavery from very early on in England before they even came to the United States of America. That's why Philadelphia and Pennsylvania itself was a real mecca for the Underground Railroad for slaves to escape to um, because it was the Quakers. Uh, My wife Angie, in some research for a book she wrote, uncovered a real a real uh, pocket of Quakerism in Greensboro and outside of Greensboro, North Carolina, where Guilford College was founded. It's a Quaker-rooted college. Uh, and there's an old uh, house from the late 1800s you can visit, and they still have horse carriages with fake compartments underneath the hay mm. bales uh, where slaves would be. And, and there are fake compartments and hidden rooms in the house. You can go tour that. I, I can't recall the name of it. It's outside of Greensboro. But Garrett was a, a Quaker, Thomas Garrett. He, um, he was a businessman. He started a hardware store which he in, uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. Delaware, um, uh, yeah, Delaware was a slave state at this time. Hmm. I wouldn't have known that or said that, and I assume this is correct. He established an iron and hardware business. He prospered. Okay, so this is a prosperous guy. This is not a pastor. This is not a philosopher. This is not an agitator. This is a business dude making money for he and his family and being good for his town. Uh, He was part of organizing in 1827. 1827. So this is early. Um, The uh, the Delaware Abolition Society, and he was one of the founding officers of it. And he represented that group annually at the National Convention of Abolitionists. Um, being in the iron and hardware business, he was also an entrepreneur. He started that business, and then he pivoted, I don't know why, and became a director of the new Wilmington Gas Company. Again, this is Wilmington, Delaware. They made gas, quote, I don't understand this, quote, from rosin at $7 per thousand cubic feet for lighting lamps. Think of the 1830s, 40s, 50s. You have gas street lamps around towns and uh, out front of houses, etc. And so he got into the energy industry and prospered there as well. Um, So, um, but on the side, as as his, so that's his role in God's story as a prosperous businessman, creating wealth for himself and for others. That's part of our role in God's story is what our work is that God gives us. But another part of his role in God's story is, he decided to work as a station master on the Underground Railroad in Delaware. Uh, he worked with many well-known uh, Underground Railroad people. Um, uh, now, Garrett chose a different, some Underground Railroad white people in the North or the South 
Well, if you were in the South, you could not be open about it. Many in the North were not open about it. Uh, they did not want conflict with slave hunters coming to the North mm. uh, or their own governments, which people were still very racist in New England, um, generally speaking. Yeah. It's that slavery didn't work for their, didn't make their economy go. Um, uh, but Garrett was very open about it. He was very open in Delaware. He owned his convictions. He defied slave hunters and the slave system. He didn't have secret rooms in his house, which was at, you can look this up in Wilmington, if you're ever in Wilmington, Delaware, 227 Shipley Street. This is the Garrett house. Um, the authorities were aware of his activities, even though Delaware was a slave state, but he was never arrested. Um, however, here's an example of putting your life on the line for what you believe. He was sued in federal court for helping a family of eight slaves owned by two owners to escape. Um, uh, however, uh, th those sla slave owners sued Garrett in the U.S. Supreme Court. It went all the way there. Um, and they were found guilty of violating the Fugitive Slave Act by helping these two family of slaves escape. Mm. And as the architect of it, Thomas Garrett received a $4,500 fine. I can't even imagine how much money that was in 18-something-something. Yeah. Um, it was later reduced to $1,500. Uh, quote, this is uh, 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 from minutes in a Quaker meeting. Quote, the fine was so heavy it left Garrett financially ruined. Yet Thomas Garrett stood up in court and said this, Judge, thou hast left me not a dollar. But I wish to say to thee and to all in this courtroom that if anyone knows a, fu uh, a fugitive who wants a shelter and a friend, send him to Thomas Garrett, and he will befriend him. Hmm. He didn't rage against the machine. He doubled down on doing God's will. A lien was put his, on into his house. He did eventually pay the fine, and he did eventually return to prosperity through his perseverance and he continued both his iron hardware and gas business and helping runaway slaves to freedom um, so let me skip ahead uh, Garrett differed with some Quaker Christians this is interesting Quakers are known pacifists in our day down to our day and he, he disagreed with the 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 most other prominent abolitionist underground railroad person in his state that person would not resist if slave hunters came to his house. He would not resist violence. Garrett did. He, he actually had people in armed resistance if they were ever attacked on the way, rescuing slaves, or if they were threatened in his home, he would resist uh, in an armed manner. Uh, uh, super interesting. Uh, here's, here's the last bit. Um, so he was a noted friend and benefactor to Underground Railroad conductor Harriet Tubman. She passed through his house many times. In addition to offering Harriet Tubman lodging and meals, Garrett frequent. It's just beautiful stuff to get this granular, Harrison. Yeah. Uh, frequently provided her with money shoes to continue her missions including shoes for the runaways because they would be shoeless yep. but now they were going to have to flee 
through through field and forest and across streams. Uh, Garrett provided tub. Uh, this is super cool. So he must have been one of the first to befriend her when she became free and made it to Philadelphia because Garrett provided Harriet Tubman with the money and the plan and the means to go back south and bring her parents to freedom. Wow. Talk about being an ally and an anti-racist. Um, uh, <clears throat> the number of runaways Garrett assisted had sometimes been exaggerated. So he would say, to set the record straight, no, 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 I only helped 2,700 slaves escape. A man of understatement. Wow. Okay, here's, here's the end, which I think this is really cool. During the American Civil War, when Confederate troops came to Delaware at some point, the free African Americans of Wilmington guarded Garrett's house with arms, protected him. Uh, when the 15th Amendment passed, giving black men the right to vote, Wilmington's African Americans population carried Thomas Garrett through the streets in an open uh, something with a sign, Our Moses. Can you imagine that? What a scene that was. This is not to make him the white savior, okay? Yeah. That, that's a, a, a trope that we don't want to get into. Yeah. Harriet Tubman is the true hero here. But this is an ally and an anti-racist. This is super beautiful. He died on January 25th, 1871, at 81 years old, freed blacks carried his beer on their shoulders to the Quaker meeting house on West 4th Street in Wilmington, where he was interred. In 1993, Wilmington named the Tubman-Garrett Riverfront Park. Pennsylvania and Delaware have also erected historical markers at sites associated with Garrett in Drexel Hill, which is a part of Philly and Wilmington, respectively. His house uh, remains private property near the historic marker on Garrett Road in Upper Darby. The thing that strikes me, <clears throat> just a, a huge parallel to what I see in here today is there is a, there is a desire among the black folks who are really leading the charge and speaking out on anti-racism and how to be anti-racist it's a it's a desire for um white folks who are trying to be allies to come along and not say all right here's my 15 ideas but to come along and just say how can i help like what what are what are you doing and how can i help like it's 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 letting the which is hard for us sometimes yes. in 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 our experience, a lot of uh, just just in general, not even some of it having to relate to the color of our skin or advantages that we've had, but some of it is just because a, a lot of people that live in the Lake Norman area are people that get stuff done. They yeah. they're Type A and they take charge and they That's see true. a problem and they fix it and it's like, all right, boom, boom, boom. Here's how we take care of this and knock this out. I love me 
having some Lake Norman people on a committee or a team or project. That's right. They will get stuff done. So it's it's a little bit of a rewiring for us in like a super um, Christ like Christ like way yeah. to to come in and to say, um, let let me hear your story and you as the person who've thought about this way more than me, mm-hmm. how, how can I help and how can I come alongside you? And that's, that's what we saw in that story is someone I'm sure who became aware of what was happening and just kind of raised his hand and said, I'll, I'll pitch in. Like he didn't invent the underground railroad, right? <laughs> you know, he, 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 uh, but the impact that he had in using, using his unique position his resources, his resources that this is the, this is the, the spot that God called him to be in. That's the the part of the body that he was. Not everyone can be all the things, but he did his thing and man, did he, he maximized it (laughs) to the highest degree that he possibly could have. It's just so cool to hear. My goodness. And Harrison, I don't, uh, you know, we can get technical and theologically and biblically about this, that we're called to the scriptures call us, that because now that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. and That includes not only reconciling people to God through Jesus, but to one another and to creation. But I don't think we even need to get that technical. I don't know if it's too simple, Harrison, but I keep coming back to just going, Jesus said love your neighbor as yourself. And so if my neighbor, if my all of my black Christian neighbors are asking this of me, then the only loving thing for me to do is to comply. And that's what I'm trying to do, um, haltingly, uh, not perfectly. I appreciate the ways that I see you're trying to do that as well. I think is really encouraging in that story as well, just looking back and it gives me hope for today, is, t- is to realize that as you had this giant group of plantation slaveholders that were twisting and using the Bible, calling themselves Christians, but just glaringly missing it. In we're that, all familiar with rationalizing sin due to our own self-interest. That's right. And, and even in the midst of that, as you see people that are identifying and raising their hands and saying, I am a Christian and are acting in ways that feel incongruous and they're disappointing to see that there's there's all like uh it was fred rogers right who said always look for the ones who are helping Hmm. um they're 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 take your cue from them is that the point yeah and that there are always there are always christ followers there are always Christ followers that you can find who are genuinely mm-hmm. trying to be responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit, and even in ways that are um, unpopular, are going to get you ostracized in certain circles. They're going to they're going to maybe put a target on your back, but saying I'm going to I'm going to follow this wherever it's taking me, and that's just yeah. really encouraging to see. Well, may may we be Thomas Garrett's in our own way, friends, mm-hmm. um, in our day. Uh, for the long haul. That's our podcast for today. Great to have a conversation with you. Um, Thanks for listening to some of the deeper dive on the research that didn't make it into the sermon, but I was really excited to release 
his story. That was an awesome. No, that was an awesome story. I was just, I was just sitting here enjoying it. So I, I hope that, uh, I hope that you guys did as well. And just a, a special thank you to the um, handful of folks who I, I did speak to over the weekend who came to church and made a point to mention to me that they've just enjoyed continuing to um, listen along to this podcast and that it's you know, been part of their thing that they'll turn on as they're working around the house or after dinner or whatever. So we, uh, we appreciate, you know, being able to hang with you guys even in this way. Yeah. We feel like it's creating a, a, a band of ministry partners at Lake Forest that we're, we're just a little click in with each other, um, on many things. So we're, we appreciate that. We've made it 20 episodes without saying anything too glaringly stupid. So that I know of. So I'm going to, mm-hmm. I just patted myself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we look forward to continuing on with you guys. Uh, we'll be the next, the, ne- the, the next little stretch of the summer. We're going to kind of figure out over the next couple weeks. Cause this is kind of the time of year, as you said, Mike is headed to the beach. We have, you know, folks traveling in and out. So we may get creative in here from a couple different folks over the next uh, little bit so stay tuned and don't be surprised if we take a week off that wouldn't be bad either yep we may take a little bit a little bit of break uh here and there as we are in our summer rhythms just like uh just like everybody else is and as we're getting ready to even earlier than we planned this back to school everyone kicking back in rhythm is coming here in Mm -hmm. literally a month Mm -hmm. so tick tick we're prepping sermon series to coincide with that i'm looking forward to it yeah all right harrison All right, everybody. Yep. We'll catch you guys next time.